battle in the heart of Alabama caught our attention. Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. I If we ain't all free, ain't none of us free. You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Hello, Tennessee Valley. This is The Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-host and fellow agitator Adam Keller. We are broadcasting live to tape online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Today, Joe Biden is screwing over rail workers. Joe Biden is screwing over workers at the NLRB and by proxy screwing over all American workers. We talked to Scott uh, Scott Herrick about Union Lee and a crazy story at a tractor supply in Mississippi. All that and more on today's program. If you want to be part of the show today, that is too bad because we are not live. We're taping this early in the week because I'm on vacation right now, if you can believe it. I'm on vacation, and I'm in Nolens, living it up in Louisiana. So, uh, uh, not going to be able to get your uh, call in on the air. Not going to be able to get it on live. But you can leave us a voicemail, and we might play that on the next show. That phone number is 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. If you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap here on the radio, or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week, Then you can find us anywhere you find anything online. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, TikTok, all at, wherever you get your podcasts, all at The Valley Labor Report. Just a reminder, your support helps us stay on the air. Our largest single source of funding comes directly from our listeners. Uh, So if you want to become a sustaining member of the program, make a one-time donation, buy our stickers, Anything like that, you can go to our website, tvlr.fm, tvlr.fm slash donate, tvlr.fm slash store, or become a patron at patreon.com slash Report. And if you're a member of a union, then uh, definitely think about getting your local to sponsor the show. You can reach out to us for more details on that. So, uh, guys, Joe Biden. Joe Biden has screwed over tens of thousands of rail workers and told you that he would screw you over if it was too costly for him. Yesterday, he came out with a statement completely Well, I'm saying yesterday because as we're recording this, it is Tuesday, Tuesday evening. So undoubtedly, y'all are aware of 
y'all listening are aware of much more. Uh, the, the the situation has progressed much more since Tuesday evening, and um, and that is definitely one of the drawbacks of doing a pre-taped show. But uh, on Monday, he came out with a statement completely selling out rail workers and capitulating to rail capital. In the statement, he calls on Congress to implement the tentative agreement that he quote-unquote helped negotiate between the rail monopolies and the workers. It's the same contract that unions representing the majority of rail workers have voted down. The major- Unions representing the majority of rail workers have voted down the contract, the agreement that Biden is calling on Congress to implement. Biden is calling on Congress to implement a contract over the no votes of thousands of union members. And they and, and also he cares a lot about democracy. In the statement he uses the misleading math to say to make you think that the agreement proposes a significant raise. He says that it proposes a 24% raise. 24%. Wow, Adam, that sounds that sounds great. A 24% raise. Have you hmm. ever have you ever gotten a 24% raise, Adam? Uh nothing nothing even close. Hmm. So I wonder about that. Are they really getting a 24 24% raise? Well, I guess in a sense because they're getting that 24% raise over 5 years. He doesn't tell you that the 24% raise is coming over the course of 5 years. That amounts to less than a 5% raise per year. And for those of you keeping track at home, a 5% raise is below inflation. That's a pay cut. And Joe Biden, in his statement, is calling a pay cut a historic pay raise. It's like, I mean, it's like he thinks you're stupid. It's like he thinks these the rail workers are stupid. In the statement, he said that the deal was approved by labor and management negotiators. And that's a lie. The deal was not approved by labor negotiators. The deal was sent to the membership for a vote. A tentative agreement is not approval. That's not how union negotiations work. The labor negotiators don't get to approve the deal. The members get to approve the deal. It's not up to the negotiators. It's not up to the people that were sitting across from management. It's up to the workers. That's why it was sent to a vote, and it was the workers who voted it down. In the statement, he says that workers uh, will now have the opportunity to take unscheduled leave for medical leave, 
for medical needs. Uh, but he doesn't tell you that's only if they're in the hospital. And he doesn't tell you that it's unpaid. Mm. He also doesn't tell you that some of the sick leave policies, and we learned this from talking to Paul Lindsay last week, a railroad worker, some of the sick leave policies in that agreement are that you get three unpaid uh, uh, three unpaid sick days in addition to uh, not being not being disciplined if you're in the hospital. But those three unpaid sick days that you get have to be scheduled 30 days in advance. They also can only happen on Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. Well, don't you know, the flu only works three days a week. Right. He is right when he says in his statement that a freight rail strike would impact the economy. Uh, but the only way that the strike would happen at all in the first place is if the companies don't give the workers what they're asking for. Which is, let's remember, a few days of paid sick leave. That's what the workers are asking for. They're not even upset about the pay cut that Joe Biden and the rail monopolies are trying to push down their throats. I think some uh, that's, that's not the main issue. The main issue for them is being able to take some amount of time from work. To be able to not feel like you have to go in if you have the flu. And that's, as far as I'm concerned, that's bare minimum for a workplace in the year of our Lord 2022. It's just, it's amazing. And, 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 and lest you think that Lest you think that, okay, well, maybe when you just say it, when you just say, oh, they only want a few days of sick leave, um, maybe that somehow doesn't actually convey the cost of giving all of these workers paid sick leave. Maybe for some reason the cost would be prohibitive to these companies. In 2021, Warren Buffett, who is the owner of BNSF Rail, made more money in one day, Warren Buffett, a single individual person, a single individual person made more money in one day than it would cost to give all the rail workers an additional 15 days of paid sick leave. Every single one of these 100,000 some odd workers could have an additional 15 days of sick leave. They're only asking for 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 three to seven, is my understanding. I'm 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 hearing different numbers, or I'm reading different numbers, but it's always between three and seven. The union is only asking for between three and seven days of paid sick leave, and Warren Buffett, with the amount of money that he made from BNSF Rail in one day could pay for all of these people to have 15 days, double what they were asking for, 
15 days of paid sick leave. Uh, so, and also I've heard, I've heard the union say that, uh, uh, it is less than 1% of the profit that they made in 2021. So, uh, don't believe anybody that tells you that it would be cost prohibitive to allow these people to take time off when they're sick. Because that would be a lie. In the statement that Joe Biden put out on Monday, he says that he is a pro-labor president. This is also now, we can say, a lie. This is, as far as I'm concerned, a which side are you on moment. And a pro-labor president would not force tens of thousands of workers to continue working without sick leave after two years of negotiations, after they've worked two years under an expired contract, after they've worked two years trying to convince their bosses under the antiquated Railway Labor Act and all of the diffusing mechanisms that it has for for for, disfu for diffusing worker discontent two years they've been trying to do this quote unquote the right way two years they've been trying to do this quote unquote the right way and the only reason that it's taken two years to do this is because these companies knew that this is what was going to happen you get a republican in there you get a democrat in there probably probably We'll just be able to make them accept whatever we want to give them. And we won't have to give them paid sick days. Probably that's what's going to happen, whether there's a Republican or a Democrat. And if Joe Biden has his way, he would be proving them right. A pro-labor president would not force tens of thousands of workers to continue working without sick leave because billionaire robber barons are holding the country's economy hostage. A pro-labor president would either allow the workers to strike and put the full weight of his rhetoric and his bully pulpit behind them, or, and this would be an acceptable outcome as well, because obviously he is right that a rail stoppage would severely hurt the economy. It's amazing the power that workers have. It's almost like, it's almost like workers are the people that make the country run, not people like Warren Buffett. Because when Warren Buffett takes a day off, you don't know it. But if all these workers took a day off, you would know it. It would cost the economy $2 billion a day. $2 billion a day. That's the power that these workers have, and that's the power that Joe Biden is trying to stop them from using. So a pro-labor president would either allow them to strike and support them, or perhaps a pro-labor president would just double the union demands and tell the robber barons that if it ever happens again, they or that if they don't want this to happen again, if they don't want a pro-labor president to double what the union is asking for, that they should just reach a fair deal sooner. A pro-labor president would nationalize the rails. Because if it is so important to national security, which I think the rails are, 
if the rails are so important to the national economy, which I think they are, then they are too important to allow billionaire robber barons to control them. It's absurd. It's an absurd... It's absurd that we allow Warren Buffett to control so much of the nation's economy. Who the hell is he? It's ridiculous. Hell, a pro-labor president might triple or quadruple what the union is asking for, and these monopolies would still have billions of dollars left over in profit. Just to, just to rub salt in the wound, maybe he would... I, I don't... Maybe they would impose... Maybe he would propose imposing a contract that says... Not only are we going to quadruple what the union is asking for, we're also going to make you pay, the contract is going to say you got to pay, I don't know, $1 billion to the AFL-CIO. I mean, he could literally, <laughs> he could literally do that because that's the way that the Railway Labor Act is set up because unlike in the private sector, Cong in the private sector, in most of the private sector, Congress doesn't just have the authority to impose a contract on you that you have to work under. Your contract is either set by uh, you and your boss individually, in which case you don't actually have a contract and you're just there at the whims of your boss, or it's negotiated collectively between the employer and the union. And the government doesn't really have, you know, they can't impose an actual contract on you. But for the rail workers, uh, Congress does have that power through the Railway Labor Act. And so they could just they could just create a co whatever contract they wanted. The insanity and political stupidity of this was made apparent immediately after the statement when Marco Rubio said that he would not vote to ratify a deal that the workers wouldn't accept. <laughs> Joe Biden is allowing himself to be outflanked on labor by Marco Rubio. God, of all people. John Hickenlooper. John Hickenlooper has also said that he would not be supporting uh, a deal without sick days. This is literally a capitalist. Yeah. He's one of the most conservative folks in the Democratic Party. And a literal Republican. Uh... I mean, the CPC hasn't even put out a statement yet, and John Hickenlooper is already out saying that he's not going to support it. And, of course, you've got people like AOC, Jamal Bowman, Bernie Sanders. Of course, they're bright spots, and they're fighting for the workers to have sick leave. Uh, but the progressive Democrats as a whole, as you know, the Congressional Progressive Caucus, they're not out here condemning Biden's move. Why is that? As of Tuesday, the AFL-CIO hasn't put out a statement on it. The Trades Transportation Department of the AFL-CIO hasn't put out a statement on it yet. Marco Rubio has, though. It, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. It, it's ridiculous. There's no reason for this. There's absolutely no reason for this. The money is there. It's not going to cost you... What, what, what could he possibly be worried about? 
Why? What could possibly be the reasoning for imposing this contract on these people? The money is there on the on the part of the rail companies. Who are the people politically that are going to be upset about him giving workers a good deal? But there are millions of people in labor unions that are going to be pissed off when this goes through. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. Well, I mean, I think the only explanation is class allegiance that Biden and his administration, their loyalty to capital, their loyalty to the bosses, to the Warren Buffets of the world is more important than winning elections. I mean, that's the only conclusion that you can draw that supporting these rail barons, these modern day robber barons, supporting them is more important than supporting the millions of union workers across this country who helped get Joe Biden elected, who helped elect Democrats to hold the House and the Senate for these past two years and to control the Senate moving forward. Wouldn't have happened without labor. Yeah. It wouldn't have happened without wouldn't have happened without Unite uh without Labor, without Unite here. I mean there's absolutely it's, there's absolutely no chance that it would have happened without Labor. I mean, so here we see <clears throat> you know I, I I think you you nailed it. It's a whose side are you on moment. He's made it very clear whose side he's on. Marty Walsh has made it very clear whose side he's on. Uh, an increasing amount of Democrats have made it clear whose side they're on. And, and to make it worse, in his statement, President Biden made it clear he doesn't want Congress to change the agreement. Yes. Right? Because you have Senator Bernie Sanders and, and a handful of others who have indicated they want to improve the agreement and, and to make the agreement better for the workers to actually include some sick leave. Uh, and that is something Joe Biden is opposed to. And not only... It's possible. It is yeah. 100% possible. It could happen tomorrow. And it really does seem like... I mean, we've just been... Today, we have been... Like, every hour there's been a new group of people coming out saying that I'm not going to support a deal without sick leave. I'm not going to support a deal without sick leave. And so, the way that it's like dripping out i would honestly almost be surprised if if there is not some improvement on that front and and so then the question is how did biden not know this would happen how did biden know not know that he didn't have the support in congress to screw over the rail workers and so he's gonna look even worse than if he if the whole congress had been behind him because it's obvious the whole congress is not behind him right now I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't. But but all you, you know. You said in his statement he advocated that the deal not be changed, and not only did he just say the deal shouldn't be changed, but he specifically argued against changing it. Like he said, I know some, however well intentioned, was the words that he used. Uh, you know, people maybe want to improve it. But that would risk delaying and, and, and whatever, and, and we shouldn't do that, and we need to make this happen right now. Why? <laughs> like, 
Why would it take long? Just just where, wherever the article about sick leave is, you just change the number from zero to seven. Like, how? what do you mean? How would it delay it? Right. There's no delay when you are literally in the position to impose something. It takes you as long as it takes to, yeah, change that language and to impose it. Yeah. I mean, if he's worried about it, delay, like, just, just send the PDF to me and I'll do it. I'll get it done for you the same day. Like, <laughs> you send me the document tomorrow and I'll have it back with the right amount of sick days in an hour. It's ridiculous. It just, you know, the thing that really pisses me off beyond seeing these workers thrown under the train, uh, seeing these workers struggling for years for things that, you know, it's absurd we're even having to fight for it. There is no such thing as a good deal that doesn't even have paid sick leave in the year 2022. Yeah, that that's absurd. That is totally absurd. Um, and, and beyond that, just the very nature of it, something else that does piss me off is I think to all the folks who told me that Joe Biden would be the most pro-labor, pro-union president of our lifetimes. Mm-hmm. And they've continued saying that even since he's been elected. Uh, while we've seen little to show for it, That line has been repeated over and over and over again. I even know people who are legitimately good union brothers and sisters who are effective advocates in the workplace who told me that. Mm -hmm. And now I knew better. Uh, I think anyone who paid close attention to Joe Biden's record over the past several decades, because it has been. You know, about half a century he's been in office. It's well, not actually, a surprise. Well, well, well. You mentioned that. You said you mentioned that his half a century in office. More perfect union came out a couple of hours ago. With let me see if I can find this tweet really quick. This thread. They came out with um, a report that back in 1992. Joe Biden, Senator Joe Biden voted against ending a major rail strike. He argued that by, here's quoting from More Perfect Union, he argued that by intervening, Congress would be rewarding the railroad companies for years of bad faith negotiation. Hmm. As a senator, Biden criticized intervention from Congress and the White House, saying that it assured the rail companies that the odds were stacked in their favor and confirmed the fears of rail workers. Senator Biden also criticized the Presidential Emergency Board, whose job is to mediate a deal between the rail unions and carriers by providing contract recommendations. Quote, it is a reasonable system in theory that has turned insidious in practice. Uh, so com- everything the man said 30 <laughs> years ago could easily apply to himself now. Um, yeah. It's that's and, and I don't know if you caught this, but in Nancy Pelosi's statement, she actually explicitly named Wall Street. She made she mm-hmm. said the rail industries have been squeezing and squeezing the workers uh, on the on the behalf of Wall Street just to make more money, just greed. She put that out there in her statement, followed by, but we're still going to go ahead and do this. We acknowledge you're being screwed. We acknowledge it's all one big scam. Yeah. But but 
but damn, it sucks, but, doesn't it, guys? Like, oops, we're man, just gonna have to do sure. it to you. Yeah, it's like it's like that meme where this guy's in like a hot dog suit and is like, we're trying really hard to figure out who did this. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a false dichotomy. I mean, because what they're portraying is either. They impose this contract, which sucks, which the workers don't want, which is, you know, absurd. They impose this crappy contract or there's a strike and the whole economy is going to shut down and everyone's going to suffer and little Johnny's not going to get their Christmas present on time. Yeah. It's a false choice. Yeah. You could also uh, just give the workers what they demand. Yeah. They're not asking for much. They're asking for reasonable, humane scheduling. And some paid time off. They're being squeezed and squeezed. Their their health and safety has been put at risk for years. These billionaire capitalists like Warren Buffett are leveraging the country's supply chain mm-hmm. just to squeeze more out of these workers. Yeah. It is these are oligarchs. These are robber barons. And it's very clear what side Joe Biden and Marty Walsh are lining up on. Uh Again, it's not terribly surprising given their record. Even in this current administration, we've seen silence from them on the Warrior Met strike in Brookwood, Alabama. Yeah. Not even a bother to to mention it, to tweet about it, to show up in Alabama. We've seen Starbucks and Amazon and other companies, Chipotle, that are rampantly breaking labor law on purpose, intentionally daring the authorities to stop mm. them. And, you know, we've got Joseph Webb on the show today from the NLRB union to talk about how the NLRB has been totally gutted over the years, could easily be fixed, could have been fixed already under the Biden administration, still yet to happen. And this is supposed to be the most pro-labor president of our lifetimes. And the sad thing is, compared to Obama and Trump and the Bushes, and Clinton. Like, that's how, like, it's possible, even as this is happening, I mean, maybe it's it's possible. I mean, I guess. I mean, he hasn't signed another NAFTA uh, yet. Right. So. Yeah. I mean, so, like, maybe, but wow, that bar sucks ass. It's pretty like, low. That is a pretty low bar. And you're definitely not the most pro labor president in history because we still got FDR. Oh yeah, I mean. So you want to be one hundred percent, and that it, is something it doesn't come close. Yeah, pro most pro labor in my lifetime, maybe, but still, screw you. Uh, but he that'd, has that'd said, be like being the the least imperialist president yeah, of our lifetime. Right. Oh, they only bombed four countries instead of thirteen. But he has said stuff about I want to be I'm going to be the most pro union president in history. You do this, you can't be. Right. You can't be. Yeah, there's there's an there's an issue of basic morality, and there's an issue of politics. There's just the you know, like I said, I I can only draw the conclusion that loyalty to these elites, loyalty to these railroad barons, is more important. Not just in you know delivering for constituents, but for even having the chance to win an election. Mm-hmm. You would rather lose and stay loyal and show your class allegiance than dare 
help working people, even if it were to help you win and stay in office. Yeah. It's just, it's, uh, and, and then we wonder why people don't want to vote. Yeah. Or we wonder why Democrats have struggled retaining working class voters. Yeah. Well, maybe this is it. Uh, so, and the last thing I'll say on it is a uh, friend of the show, uh, our brother Chris Townsend, put out a hell of an mm. article called Lions Led by Asses. And I really highly recommend that. Uh, you can find it online. Just check out Lions Led by Asses by Chris Townsend. Highly recommend it. Yeah, yeah, it's very good. Uh, so with that, let's go ahead and, and uh, get to last week in Southern Labor. Uh, last week in Southern Labor is a segment that we do every week, mostly, where we tell you what happened in the labor movement in the South. We pull the information from Jonah Furman's newsletter, Who Gets the Bird, which compiles all this information for the entire United States. So if you want to see what's going on outside the South, subscribe to his newsletter, whogetsthebird.substack.com. With that, let's jump into new organizing for the weeks of November 13th to the 27th. 56 first student school bus workers in Dalton, Georgia are organizing with ATU Local 1212. 360, 360 hospital workers in two elections at hospitals of Providence's Sierra campus in El Paso, Texas, are organizing with SEIU Texas. 166 more Starbucks workers at seven stores are organizing with Starbucks Workers United, including in Louisville, Kentucky, and Alpharetta, Georgia. 12 bookstore workers at Books a Million in Leesburg, Virginia, are unionizing with UFCW Local 400. UFCW Local 400 is also getting in on the on the coffee organizing wave with five baristas at DC's La Colombe filing for an election. 102 workers at Pepsi Products Company, Acadiana Bottling in Youngsville, Louisiana, are organizing with Teamsters Local 270. 80 warehouse workers and drivers for LabCorp in Tucker, Georgia are organizing with Painters, District Council 77. 26, at, uh, 26 workers at Deep Roots in West Windover, West Virginia, are unionizing with UFCW Local 711. 30 radio station workers at Charlotte, North Carolina's WFAE are joining SAG-AFTRA. 21 aircraft mechanics at the Elizabeth City, North Carolina Coast Guard Station are joining IUECWA. 21 workers who uh, work for federal contractor Akima in Fayetteville, North Carolina, are unionizing with the machinists. 11 subcontracted fire captains at the Oak Ridge National Laboratory in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, are joining the IAFF, the International Association of Firefighters, local I-101. Five resident artists at the Sloss Furnaces Building in Birmingham, Alabama, are joining the Boilermakers Union. Nice. In strikes and bargaining, D.C. teachers just won a tentative deal with 12% raises over four years. After three years without a contract. 
As we just reviewed, Joe Biden is attempting to get Congress to ram through a deal over the workers' rejection. This month saw Starbucks Workers United's Red Cup Rebellion, a coordinated day of strike action across 110 stores, including several in the South, to coincide with the company's Red Cup Day, one of the heaviest sales days of the year, which inaugurates the holiday season at Starbucks. The NLRB is also petitioning the federal government for a nationwide cease and desist against the company, fire, uh, firing workers for their union support, which is already which is already illegal, but our labor law is broken. <laughs> Separate from the nationwide action, Starbucks workers in Memphis went on strike as well. For Black Friday, Amazon workers and allies across the world protested, including right here in Alabama. Elsewhere in key infrastructure strikes, about 800 International Longshore Association local 1410 members at the Port of Mobile, Alabama are on strike against terminal operator CSA after promised federal mediation never actually started. The dock workers have been without a local agreement while the national ILA is gearing up to negotiate its new national agreement with CSA's parent company. Warrior Met UMWA members marked their second Thanksgiving on the picket line, and Kim Kelly has a dispatch from, Brook from Brookwood, Alabama. Unite Here's campaign against massive hospitality contractor Sodexo escalated with two strike authorization votes among convention center workers, including in Orlando, Florida, plus other possible job actions in New Orleans, Louisiana. Maybe I'll run into them while I'm on vacation. After many years of pleading for funding increases, the NLRB has announced that the agency will have to begin furloughing employees if they don't get more funding basically immediately. Since the GOP took back the House, this has to happen before the end of the calendar year. And since there's a debt ceiling deadline of December 16th, there's basically two and a half weeks to get it done. The first week will probably be consumed with the rail strike. Speaking of federal agency dysfunction, Labor Lab came out with a great new report on LM20 noncompliance, which is the extent to which union busters and those who hire them break the law by not reporting on their activities in a timely fashion. Get this, more than 80% of LM20 filings were delinquent in 2021 and 2022 in case you were looking for another way in which the deck is stacked against workers trying to organize. And if that weren't enough, Rebecca Rainey has a report on the Mine Safety and Health Administration, where, you guessed it, underfunding and understaffing, plus other agency dysfunction, means that existing mines are not getting inspected. And new mines that should be opened in the wake of all the recent federal infrastructure investment will likely be delayed. But this basic non-functioning of agencies intended to protect workers' right to organize is, of course, not going to be enough for the GOP as they take over the House. The ghouls at Littler Mendelssohn have a useful rundown of their wish list, I mean predictions, for Republican House. By the time you hear this, you should already know the result in the UAW's first ever membership-wide election of national officers because the, de uh, because the deadline will apparently not change after a judge appears to have rejected a suit to extend the voting period due to very low membership awareness of the vote. 
According to a federal monitor, just over 100,000 ballots have been received out of around 1 million mailed. In the meantime, yet another story about UAW financial mismanagement has come out, this time from Dan uh, Bo uh, Bogoslaw at The Intercept, reporting on how the UAW strike fund is systematically underreported to the membership and invested in brilliant things like FTX-affiliated crypto, crypto venture capitalist funds, while leadership limits fund payouts to actual striking workers. The IBEW will have new leadership in 2023 in far less dramatic fashion, with President Lonnie Stevenson announcing his retirement and the executive board being shuffled around to fill vacancies. The Washington Post looked at the state of public sector collective bargaining in Virginia as several groups of workers move, closely, uh, move closer to winning legally recognized union contracts in the wake of the 2020 state labor law reform. Workers in many jurisdictions, like the Fairfax County Schools, are still fighting to win local ordinances. And also worth mentioning, the, uh, the 48,000-strong University of California academic workers of UAW Local 2865, UAW Local 5810, and Student Researchers United have claimed the mantle of the year's largest strike. And with that, we are going to take a short break. On the other side, we are going to be talking to Joseph Webb, a field attorney for the NLRB in Birmingham and president of the NLRB Union Local 10. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hometown Action is a grassroots organization building a multiracial working class movement for racial, gender, economic, and environmental justice in Alabama's rural communities. We stand in solidarity with Alabama workers and are proud to support the Valley Labor Report's efforts to inform and build the Southern Worker Movement. Please visit hometownaction.org and follow our social media channels at Hometown Action to learn more about how you too can get involved to make the South a better place for all workers. Solidarity, y'all. IBW558 is like a great football team. You've got to have the aptitude, skills, and knowledge to outperform the competition. If you're a non-union electrician, now is the perfect time to get off the sideline and join our team. We have the absolute best wages and benefit package in North Alabama and Southern Tennessee. It's because our team stands together, bargains together, and our families benefit from it. With immediate openings, you have the opportunity to see why the IBW is the right choice. Energy Alabama is a locally operated and membership-based nonprofit organization focused on advancing Alabama's clean energy future through education and advocacy. Many people in charge of infrastructure and building decisions simply don't know about how viable clean and renewable energy is. To that end, Energy Alabama has provided instruction to more than thousands of adults and tens of thousands of K-12 students across the state. We're working hard to build careers in clean energy and help everyday Alabamians save money on their utility bills. Learn more about our work and how you can join us at energyalabama.org. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs 
Have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtnj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services provided is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. Support for this program comes from the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 136, out of Central Alabama. Learn more at IBEW136.org. Attention union members, membership organizations, podcasters, or anyone with a payment processing need. The future is here, and your organization needs to be prepared by working with Unionly. With Unionly, your union or organization can take payments on a mobile device, eliminating processing fees, giving you a better price than other payment processing methods, while at the same time supporting a union-friendly business with a specialized skill set to meet your needs. Your members will thank you when they pay their dues at their convenience without waiting in line to deposit cash or check. Start preparing for the future today by calling 206-595-8631 or visiting unionly.io. Labor creates all wealth. All wealth should go to labor. And you are listening to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, and my co-host is Adam Keller. If you've got anything to add, you can give us a call or send us a text. The phone number is 844-899-TVLR. Again, that phone number is 844-899-8857. We are not live today, but you can send us a voicemail, send us a text, Let us know what you're thinking about the show. Let us know what you think about Joe Biden trying to screw over rail workers. And we might play the voicemail, read the text message on next week's show. So our first guest today is Joseph Webb. He is a field attorney at the NLRB. He is president of the NLRB Union Local 10. Joseph, welcome back to the Valley Labor Report. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Glad to have you. Glad to have you. So you talked to us some time ago about funding issues at the NLRB, and from the looks of it, those have not subsided, have they? They have not. They We are getting down to crunch time. If a budget is not passed by the end of this year, the uh, come January 1st, the NLRB will be $20 million short of funding for the next year. And over the last uh, near decade now of flat funding, the NLRB has cut everything it reasonably can with the exception of offices and personnel. And the general counsel and the chairman of the board have both warned Congress that if the budget is not increased by $20 million by the end of the year, that furloughs will begin at some point next year, which will likely, not likely, it will definitely mean a loss of services for the labor community and for the American worker. What ha- Before we get into what furloughs would potentially do um, to the NLRB and to the workers they serve, what has the chronic underfunding meant uh, for y'all at the NLRB and for your ability to... Um, uh, uh, to complete the mission? 
The chronic underfunding has meant that we have less staff available to investigate unfair labor practice charges, to conduct union elections, and that slows down case processing, which becomes extraordinarily harmful in this time of increased labor activity in the United States as the labor movement attempts to expand and attempts to grow the NLRB is slowed down by this understaffing and lack of funding. And as a result, it uh, can honestly hamper the labor movement and be a benefit for business if we are slower and allow the companies more time to uh, infringe on employees' rights or to try and disrupt the campaign. That puts the... Uh, puts labor organizations in a very difficult position, and there's often nothing that we can do as NLRB attorneys to and field examiners to go any faster than what we're doing. For example, in Region 10, nearly every bargaining unit employee is currently weighed down by uh, 20 or more cases and expected to process between 100 and 200 cases this year when the gold standard under the NLRB's procedures is closer to 40 cases a year. That's what you're, That's what a fully staffed agency mm. is supposed to have. It's about 40 cases per agent, and our agents are having to process uh, between 100 and 200 a year. Wow. That's ridiculous. And the the reason for that is because y'all have less staff than than you ought to. And and last time you were last time you were on the program, you told us what a fully staffed region 10 would be and what you are currently at. Or maybe it was just the Birmingham office. But can you give us those numbers? What would your office or region 10 be? How many people would would you have if you were fully staffed and how many people do you have right now? The number that I have uh, uh, geared to memory is Birmingham. Birmingham, we actually have some good news to update, though it will not last if the uh, budget doesn't come through. But uh, Birmingham historically has had seven agents plus a supervisor and plus a, uh, a PSA or a support staff uh, employee. And at the time of our last interview, we were down to no supervisors, no PSAs, and um, three board agents. We now have four board agents, a supervisor, and a PSA. So there has been improvement in Birmingham. But as I said, if the budget doesn't hold, uh, doesn't improve, that that improvement will be short-lived. Yes, well, that that is good news. But that's still uh, three people away from being fully staffed, and three people when fully staffed is nine or ten is still a lot of (laughs) – that's still having to pick up a lot of slack. That's right. That's right. Uh, That's uh, about 120 cases a year that Mm. uh, are getting jumbled together that we would otherwise spread out to those additional three. And so, you know, moving to the furlough – piece of it what would that what would that look like for uh you know for the american worker and for y'all's ability to uh, uh to serve the american worker uh if those furloughs have to go through well furloughs of course are going to mean that uh 
there would be days where there would not be agents available to assist the American worker, meaning that petitions would not be processed, cases could not be processed, petitions couldn't be filed, unfair labor practice charges couldn't be filed on the days of agency furloughs because the agency would have to close its doors on those days. And what the specific terms would look like would likely depend on what management of the NLRB and the NLRB union came to as an agreement for the furloughs. Under Republican administrations, we have come close to furloughs before for the NLRB, but it has never happened. However, the last time it came close, management and uh, the NLRBU came to an agreement that instead of furloughing uh, certain less senior employees for lengthy periods of time to where they'd be missing paychecks, that the agreement at that point in time was that everybody in the bargaining unit would uh, be furloughed for like one day a pay period, for example. And on those days, the agency would just not be available to the public. Right. And that I would suspect that that would be the route that management and the union would go again to try and minimize impact uh, to its workforce. Right. Right. And so, you know, this is all really um, this is all really troubling. And this is under a Democratic trifecta. I mean, why why have uh, Democrats who uh, continue to tell us that they are uh, pro-labor, pro-union, and pro-working people as they, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> as they continue to prove otherwise. Why is it that they continue to prove otherwise? Why is it that, and I don't know that that's a question that maybe you feel comfortable answering, but why have they not been able to fund the NLRB? This seems like such an easy thing to do with, three uh with a democratic trifecta with with a house a senate and the presidency being held by democrats that's a very that's a very very good question and it has become an increasing concern for uh the nlrbu uh myself and and as nlrbu local 10 president i have seen increasing concerns uh about this administration throughout our own unit as uh the same administration, while not only uh, taking, well, uh, refusing to take the lead and pushing for us to get the funding that we need and failing to take this opportunity to push forth uh, strong legislation that would fund the NLRB now and in the future while they hold all three houses of Congress, they've not only failed to do that, they have uh, engaged in stalling and hard bargaining and bad faith bargaining, arguably, tactics that have kept us from reaching a collective bargaining agreement. We have now not had a collective bargaining agreement since uh, the Trump administration, the uh, Biden administration's general counsel, uh, General Counsel Bruzo, has failed to uh, bargain to a collective bargaining agreement with the union. Uh, here at the agency, and she is now taking the position that come December 23rd, she intends to revert back to working conditions that we last had under the Trump administration and under Peter Roth. That's and 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 that was going to be the next question is um, to walk us through. You know, you said that um, they've really been 
you know, at best playing hardball in negotiations and, and at worst potentially bad faith. And, and talk to us about, uh, you know, we hit on this some last week or the week before, but talk to us some about what <laughs> what y'all are asking for, which, again, is incredibly reasonable, and what the impacts have been of y'all not getting those things. Well, what our biggest uh, concern uh, is within the NLRBU is the ability to telework and have flexible work schedules. Beginning during the pandemic, uh, the NLRB temporarily allowed for flexible work schedules, which, uh, in my opinion, as union president, it played a significant factor in driving the increase in organizing and labor movement because it increased our access to the public. Suddenly, for the first time, NLRB employees were not held to this strict nine to five hour standard. We, as long as we got our hours in, we were allowed to work whatever time the public needed us. Hmm. So if a worker didn't get off work until 8 a.m. or didn't get off work until 4 a.m., we could meet with them by Zoom, like you and I are meeting today. We could meet with them by Zoom, by phone, at whatever time they needed to, to be able to help them draft a petition, to take their charge, to uh, investigate their unfair labor practice claims, uh, and to try and help them seek uh justice for workers under the National Labor Relations Act. And in addition to that, we were allowed uh, full-time telework. Now, since the Biden administration has pushed for an end to COVID restrictions, the union and general counsel reached a temporary, temporary memorandum of understanding that uh, allowed us for five telework days per pay period. However, effective December 23rd, in retaliation for us not agreeing to uh, her uh, proposals regarding uh, other issues in the collective bargaining agreement, the general counsel plans to revert back to allowing us only three days of telework. In addition to that, she has already taken away our flexible work schedules to where we can no longer be available to the public during whatever hours of the day that they need us. The general counsel's policies have therefore restricted our access to the public, and they've also discouraged workers and many of our best workers from wanting to continue working in the agency. Many workers within the NLRB within the last year, and one reason Birmingham was able to get some more agents is because in other areas of the country, NLRB attorneys are leaving in droves. Mm. First, our funding was under attack by nobody in Congress being willing to act. And now the general counsel who has, who came into our agency proclaiming to be so pro-worker is uh, attacking our working conditions and worsening them here in the agency and, frankly, worsening our ability to serve the public. Another thing she has done is during the pandemic, we, for the first time, began being allowed to take affidavits and meet with witnesses and gather evidence via Zoom meetings. That is now being discouraged. We have mm. to have extraordinary circumstances to be able to flexibly meet with witnesses. Instead, they are required to currently drive at their own expense to meet with us in our office face-to-face, -face, often having to miss work or come up with some excuse to uh, claim that they have to be out of work. Uh, 
to meet with us and essentially putting their own livelihoods at greater risk uh, and, and frankly discouraging members of the public from pursuing charges against us because they don't have the access that they've had to us for the last two years now. And from my point of view and from the bargaining unit's point of view, it seems to all be a uh, retaliatory bargaining tactic by the general counsel to try and force us to concede to uh, give management greater power on other working benefits if we want to continue serving the public the way we have over the last two years. Joseph Webb, is there anything that we've left out? I don't think uh, don't think so. I appreciate your time today and uh, appreciate uh, uh, all who uh, can stand in solidarity with us on this. Thanks again. Joseph Webb, president of the NLRB Union Local 10, field attorney at the NLRB in Birmingham. Appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Appreciate yours. Thank you. All right. So, folks, we've got... We've got a story out of Mississippi at a tractor supply. And, uh, and, and Adam, you're from Mississippi. What, what is going on here? That's right. I am originally from Mississippi, though at this point I've been in Alabama longer than uh, I was in Mississippi. But still, uh, that's still home for me. And we have a story coming out of Hattiesburg, and Hattiesburg, Mississippi is the home of the University of Southern Mississippi. I've spent some good times there, uh, seeing football games, and uh, used to go shopping there, so very familiar with that town. And there's a tractor supply there facing a lawsuit after a manager made a worker's HIV infection known not only throughout the store, but even to a customer. Uh, resulting in the workers' harassment and eventual firing. That's according to an EEOC complaint that has been filed. Julia Marnin with the Charlotte Observer had an article come out uh, a few weeks ago about this, and I, it just was so, just so beyond the pale. Uh, it stood out to me. It's just disgusting. I mean, the complaint goes on. Store managers and workers call the woman a, quote, contagion or contamination of the store uh, and also said it needed to be under quarantine after they after they learned her confidential medical information according to the September 29th EEOC complaint and uh, she, the worker she was told she was quote making everybody highly uncomfortable and that was from a store manager mm. Um, after a store manager pressured her into revealing the medical condition she was born with. Now the EEOC is accusing Tractor Supply of disability discrimination and says the company fired the worker after she complained of the repeated harassment. So not only was she getting harassed because of her HIV status, and not only was this being revealed to folks, you know, her confidential medical information being improperly revealed, uh, she understandably complained about this harassment, and then she was fired. Mm. And the lawsuit comes after the agency tried reaching a pre-litigation settlement. That's interesting. Um, of course, Tractor Supply spokeswoman said that they don't comment on pending litigation, at least according to their last statement. 
Um, it's worth noting that HIV is considered a disability under the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act. And that is uh, essentially the statute there that's, that's in play with this EEOC complaint. Um, going on in the article, while the far- former worker has HIV, Tractor Supply is further accused of ma- mistaking her d- condition for AIDS, according to the complaint. If HIV goes untreated, it can result in AIDS, which the worker did not have. Bradley Anderson, the director of the EEOC Birmingham, Alabama district office, said in a statement that employees should, quote, be able to work without worrying about whether they will be harassed because of their disability, close quote. Seems seems like a pretty basic, reasonable ask. Um, And... A couple other things that they mention in this article. Apparently, there was persistent questioning of this employee uh, in terms of her not being able to work certain days. She was seeking medical treatment, had appointments, but one thing led to another. They kept questioning her, and that's uh, when she initially revealed her HIV status. Afterward, the store manager in Laurel... Mississippi, made it public that the worker had HIV by notifying managers and workers as well as a customer at the Hattiesburg store where the worker was promoted to. I mean, what a hell of a note. You think you're getting a promotion, you're moving to a new a new store, and here's your old manager calling up everybody. Uh, The EEOC did not specify possible motivations as to why the woman's medical condition was publicized. Well, they may not comment, but I'm sure we can uh, come up with our own ideas about what sort of bigotry was at play and ignorance was at play. Um, A couple of other things. The harassment, of course, got worse after word of mouth spread in Hattiesburg uh, in her new store location. And tractor supply managers and workers would go, quote, out of their way to avoid her due to unfounded fears of HIV transmission, close quote, according to the complaint. Um, Ultimately, she was terminated after pursuing or after reporting the harassment, after complaining, you know, asking for it to stop. And eventually... After the termination, she contacted the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, and I'm very glad that she did. Yeah. Uh, and EEOC eventually filed a charge of discrimination. Um, and so the lawsuit seeks to recover back pay and damages for the woman, as well as to have tractor supply prevent further discrimination from occurring. We'll see. We'll see what happens with that. But I have never heard of something quite like that, uh, where... Managers are running around telling people your your health conditions like that. Yeah, that's just and even customers finding mm-hmm. out. I mean, just how awful, awful. There was an article to come out. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Julia Marnin with the Charlotte Observer. I was glad to see that um, because something we've talked about a little bit is how much local news. It's a profile of mostly poor people who have been arrested. I mean, you think about right. how much of the local news in 30 minutes is spent on mug shots and arrest, right. uh, people behaving badly, right? But how? think about how much 
uh, time is spent on that versus the amount of time spent on reporting businesses and bosses behaving badly and breaking the law. Uh, and that's something that has really just stuck in my crawl. And so I believe we're going to be doing some some regular features on the show highlighting businesses and bosses behaving badly, especially down here in the South. Yeah. We could definitely lo- use uh, a lot more of that. So best best of luck to her as, as she uh, um, goes through that case. Uh, Adam, you had another quick story, kind of a PSA that, that you wanted to remind folks about, this, uh, this low-income home energy assistance program. Talk to us about that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this time of year, we're reminded that low-income individuals and families often cannot afford the cost of energy to heat their homes during the winter or cool their homes in the summer. The Low Income Home Energy Assistance Program, LIHEAP, assists eligible households with utility deposits and or utility payments. The objectives of the LIHEAP are to help low-income families meet the cost of home energy, defined as heating and cooling of residences, and to increase their energy self-sufficiency and reduce their vulnerability resulting from energy needs. The target population is low-income households, especially those with the lowest incomes and the highest home energy cost or needs in relation to income, taking into account family size. Additional targets are low-income households with members who are especially vulnerable, including the elderly, persons with disabilities, and young children. In order to receive assistance, the applicant's household income must not exceed 150% of the federally established poverty level. The LIHEAP is funded through a grant from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, ADECA, the Alabama Department of Economic and Community Affairs, contracts with community action agencies and local nonprofit agencies to deliver the low-income home energy assistance program to low-income households throughout the state. Limestone and Madison counties are considered Region 2, served by the Community Action Agency of Madison and Limestone counties, which is located on Stringfield Road in Huntsville. The, their website is caa htsval.org. Lauderdale, Colbert, and Franklin counties are considered Region 1, served by the Community Action Agency of Northwest Alabama, located in Florence. Uh, Morgan County, you are in Region 16 with Lawrence, Marion, Winston, and Coleman counties, which is served by the Community Action Partnership of North Alabama, located in Decatur. You'll need to make an appointment with the appropriate office and bring certain documents, a list of which you can find on their websites. Funds are paid directly to utility companies and vendors. Assistance may be received up to four times per year based on eligibility requirements. Related programs include the Alabama Weatherization Assistance Program, which reduces energy costs for low-income people by improving energy efficiency along with health and safety, and the Low Income Household Water Assistance Program, which works similar to the Heating Assistance Program, but for water services. The programs have similar targets and requirements and are worth exploring, especially for low-income households with children, the elderly, and people with disabilities. So obviously this is uh, more of a PSA segment, and I wanted folks to be aware of this program. But thinking politically, there's no doubt these programs, as beneficial as they are, are ultimately band-aids on the gaping wounds of poverty and inequality. 
in a better world, in a society that puts the needs of everyday people first, such programs would not be necessary. We can and must go far beyond this kind of assistance to ensure everyone has what they need to live safe, healthy lives. But in the meantime, while we grow our movement, it is important we know what assistance and benefits are currently available and try to share this knowledge with others. Maybe there's someone in your life, your workplace, your neighborhood, your school, maybe in your own family, who could benefit from knowing about assistance like LIHEAP. So please pass along this information and let's do our best to take care of each other as we proceed into these cold winter nights. And with that, we're going to take a break. On the other side, we are going to be talking to Scott Herrick, uh, founder and CEO of Unionly, about uh, about what they can offer your local union. Going to be talking about, uh, and, and then we'll be going into overtime. So uh, uh, stay tuned. Don't go over. Uh, don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Energy Alabama supports consumers and is a leader in advocating for them. We have been able to successfully fight off utility rate increases in the state, reduce fees for electric vehicles, increase electric vehicle infrastructure spending, and secured a $100 million refund by Alabama Power after the utility overcharged customers for fuel. To learn more about our work advocating for customers and join the fight, go to energyalabama.org. There's a lot of talk about a shortage of workers, but that's not the case with IBW558. We have provided our customers over 3,000 workers and performed over 3 million man hours in a pandemic year. With 8,000 OJT hours, 900 classroom hours, OSHA 30, and a state license, our members receive the equivalent of a master's degree. That's what makes IBW558 the right choice for your electrical needs. Look us up at Facebook or at IBW558.org. North Alabama DSA is looking for folks to work for a better North Alabama. They prioritize mutual aid, municipal activism, and union solidarity. Contact them on social media or dsanorthalabama at gmail for more information. Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at IAMAW44.org. Hometown Action is a grassroots organization building a multiracial working class movement for racial, gender, economic, and environmental justice in Alabama's rural communities. We stand in solidarity with Alabama workers and are proud to support the Valley Labor Report's efforts to inform and build the Southern Worker Movement. Please visit hometownaction.org and follow our social media channels at Hometown Action to learn more about how you too can get involved to make the South a better place for all workers. Solidarity, y'all. Support for this program also comes from the Iron Workers, Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need iron workers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer, 
and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Ironworkers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info. Alabama's only Union Talk radio show. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller. If you've got anything to add, you can give us a call. Send us a text message. The phone number is 844-899-TVLR. Again, we are not live today, but if you want to send us your reactions, we might read it off or play the voicemail on the next program. Scott Herrick is our next guest. He is CEO and founder of the unionized payment processing service, Unionly. Uh, Scott, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. I appreciate it. Absolutely, Jacob. Thanks for having me. How's, uh, how's everybody doing? You have a good uh, Thanksgiving? Yes. Yeah, had a great Thanksgiving. How about you? Yeah, it was great. You know, only gained like five of the uh, 10 allotted pounds I had for myself. So, you know, down down uh, a few from, you know, years, years past. I was about 10. Gain five, so I'll take it. Yeah, well, I think you know, gaining five, I, I think that works. That that works fine because I read that after Thanksgiving, you're supposed to set your scale back ten pounds. So <laughs> I like that. Yeah, like uh, daylight daylight savings kind. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I heard that too. Yeah, yeah. So it's actually right on par. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah so in in a sense, you 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 might even say you lost weight if you set your scale back <laughs> ten go. pounds. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. That's good. I like like the way you think. That's good. <laughs> uh, you heard it here first. Yeah. There you go. Thanksgiving scale savings time. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. So you know, Scott, there were a couple of things that we wanted to talk to you about this week, and 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 the first is we wanted to talk about local union bylaws. And that is, you know, I can I can feel some folks in the audience going to sleep already. But bylaws, you know, they really do have an impact on the way that a local operates, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, like you said, people think that, and I, oh, it's boring. I think that's also why it's important to bring up because 
because no one thinks about them or wants to talk about them or change them, then they aren't changed for a year, becomes five years, becomes 10 years, becomes 15, you know, and obviously with the way things are changing so rapidly now, there are things in bylaws I've seen handicap uh, locals across the country so many times, like, oh, this is just the way it is. And you're like, well, right, but why is that? It's like, oh, and I can see why people wouldn't change it because it's such a institutionally, you know, uh, integrated aspect of it in reality. But it, to me, it's important to go back to that to say, well, maybe we should change these simple things that uh, will not hamstring us on a day-to-day basis. And so, what are some of those uh, some of those things in in bylaws that that you have seen hamper uh, the ability of unions to get things done? The biggest one is uh, that there uh, only paper can be used. You know, that's one I've seen that's maybe a little more uh, not right outrageous, but limiting is you know it has to be done only pants or anything of that nature can only be done in the mail only be done by check. You know, sure you can also do that if you really want to, but to say that. It was all the things that were created, uh, bylaws that were written and created before the internet. But why would they say, you know, hey, in the future, when someone makes this internet thing, we should, you know, so they're all written before the digital age. But now that that has changed and you're limiting yourself to paper only, I'm like, well, that's kind of wild, right? Um, that's a big one I've seen just around things of that nature, the timing of it, not being allowed to use anything related to the internet for it. Uh, the, the processing fee side of it, uh, I think they had to relate with stamps or shipping or something, but I've seen ones where basically any fee outside of uh, or above the dues is not uh, acceptable, uh, even though it's not paid to to the union, right? So it's um, that's something I've seen limit as well, where it's basically just all things that uh, don't match up with the digital age and the current age we're in that you know, mm-hmm. probably made sense time, uh, but here we are 50, 10 to 50 years later, and uh, it's important to update it to account for the changing times, yeah. especially as we enter into a, you know, as we're into a new wave of increased uh, technological development and they're about to enter into one that is even faster, it, you know, it's kind of time to say, hey, it's, it's time to go, right? Mm-hmm. And so the other thing that we wanted to talk about is that something that y'all have been doing a lot of recently is is helping locals get off of uh payroll deduction and you know i think in 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 one sense payroll deduction can be very helpful for uh you know for local unions it takes a bit of hassle off of the officers and it, it just sets up this automatic payment and the local doesn't have to worry about it and the money is coming in but it's really a double-edged sword because that gives the employer the ability to hold those payments over the local in the event of contract negotiation stalling or in the event of a strike or something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, at least in my estimation, the biggest lever in, in control they hold over the union as a whole. And we've actually helped out with several scenarios where they – cut payroll deduction, they stop it, and effectively defunding the union overnight. And then the, our clients have come to us and said, hey, they're scrambling, which I can understand, and we've helped them out and replaced that, where they've then had, you know, uh, established their new agreement, went through the bargaining, got their new contract, and they said, all right, sorry, we're going to go back to it. And I'm like, well, why would you give them back that control? And they're like, oh, we've never, never thought about that. So mm. to me, it's I get that at certain levels, it's hard to 
go away from that. But to me, it's just the choice, right? And I think too, from the company side, where it's interesting as well, if uh, I actually talked to a few of my friends who own uh, union friendly companies here in, in Seattle, and he's like, we would love to be able to have a better system. So I think the conversation, it's, it's also shifting the conversation from, you know, yes or no, like you either do or you don't to maybe there's a better way of doing it, right? So whether that's through the employer helping establish uh, the, the means for digital payments we made, because the goal is to get to, to fund the union as quickly as possible and to keep that consistent, right? Mm-hmm. And again, going back to when, you know, before the internet, right, that was probably the fastest way as opposed to saying, hey, we're going to go to every person individually, ask them for the money, ask them to keep track of it. We're just going to do it for you. Sure. Uh, obviously, that's evolved. And now with the internet, you can have con- control. And uh, that to me, it's just kind of rethinking the way that things are done in that regard and actually giving people control of it. Right. And you think about too when someone signs up for dues check off, they're completing a form and doing all that. Uh, mm-hmm. And again, you could still do that on a physical piece of paper. People that had to or wanted to, whatnot. You could also do it digitally, but you're basically saying, I agree to a recurring payment, right? right. So instead of putting that into someone's hands, uh, one person usually, or a team of four to 10 who uh, you are spending an inordinate amount of time doing it, uh, maybe it's right, maybe they care, maybe it's wrong, maybe they don't. Uh, you could have control of that yourself to say, I can go in, I can track this. Here's when I pay my dues. I want to stop this. I want to change it. So both sides can still have the same uh, outcomes, but with more control and actually faster funding and more control. So, yeah, and I, I think that that you know, uh, be it, it's the process is still very similar to the payroll dues deductions, and that you know, like you said, you're making a regular payment. It's just not coming through the employer, and so the employer doesn't have you know. Doesn't have access to those funds in the same way, and, nope. and it, it's taking nope. taking them out of it. It, it. The money's you know yeah. going straight from uh, the employee, from the member to the union. Yep, yep. and it's it's uh, and that's kind of what's happening anywhere they're giving you know sub. But there's that, and then to me, talking to people I have uh, here, the amount of people that they employ that do that, the amount of time it takes them, and the amount it costs the company that could be going towards people, uh, it seems like that could be argued on that side as well so it seems to me that there's reason for both sides to want to mm-hmm. change right uh but obviously kind of by nature they're not set up to communicate which i right. makes perfect sense <laughs> uh which is fair but to me it's like what's the company's goal you know to make money at a base level right you know what you know what's the people's goal to be treated fairly great mm-hmm. you know ultimately it's it's efficiency and control right um and to me it's like we we have one client that they have uh members are part of 42 different employers and each employer does the process a little differently mm. and it's all paper and they'll send you know pictures of uh of excel sheets in the mail or handwrite something out and be like here's our list of like 500 people and some of them have you know between 500 and 1000 employees and it's done 42 different ways uh to all into one local uh, every month so good luck you know the odds of that happening accurately and it's crazy actually then there was we were on the phone uh, last or two weeks ago and as on the phone a member came in and said hey uh i just went to our meeting to vote and i was basically kicked out because they said i hadn't paid my dues but i was told that i was by the company and he said oh yeah and it was basically because something got lost in translation or lost in the mail he went to the meeting went to vote and they you know Kind of, they kicked him out and I'm sure he was embarrassed, but he came in and 
he said, hey, well, you actually couldn't talk to me. We're thinking about finding a way to do this better. And the guy was like, yeah, please do that. Thank you. Like, so it was pretty crazy to hear that live. Uh, yeah. To me, that's really where it matters, right? Yeah, sure, that's one story, but how many times has that happened? Where, oh, sorry, there's a clerical error, so you have, you can't vote or you, you have to go home. Even Thanks for driving an hour. I don't know. So to me, that gets me pretty fired up to even hear that one story of, like, that shouldn't happen, right? So right. it doesn't need to. So it's a win-win all around. So, Scott, if somebody's listening and they are interested in, you know, uh, seeing about uh, – using the service that y'all offer in their local how can people reach out to you and, and find out more yeah you visit us on our website contact us uh you can call me directly i'd be happy to put the my cell phone on the notes in the chat if you want you know um scott at unionlink.io uh, feel free to call me on my cell phone text me uh, go to our website send us a message uh, schedule a demo if you want but uh unionly that's u-n-i-o-n-l-y dot i-o and uh, we welcome the opportunity to help. Scott, thanks for taking the time to talk to, talk to us. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks for having me. You guys have a good night. All right. You too. Thanks. All right, folks. That is going to uh, that's gonna wrap it up for us on the radio today. We will be continuing the show with a conversation with Terry Michael. A uh, an employee of the American Federation of Teachers in Birmingham, former Birmingham school board member, um, and incredible guest. This is because we are so discombobulated with the way that we've been recording the show today. Uh, we've already had the conversation. It's like we're pre-taping the show for Saturday, but I've already had the conversation that you're about to hear as I'm saying this now. Even though it's coming before the conversation that you're going to hear in a second on Saturday, it's crazy. It's crazy what 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 we're doing today, but um, but you'll enjoy it. Uh, the conversation with Terry was very good, and I think uh, I think that that she's going to be a more regular guest in the new year, uh, especially with the way that um, especially with with our anticipation of the legislative session legislative session is almost certainly going to include a big um, school privatization bill and I think she's going to be all over that um, as well as uh, all over some local stuff going on in Birmingham connected to privatization of public schools so you'll enjoy the conversation so stay tuned for overtime find us on Facebook find us on YouTube continue watching the show um, but uh, so as we're wrapping up here on the radio uh, don't forget about our UMWA sisters and brothers that are still on strike over 600 days in Brookwood, Alabama. You can support the striking families by donating to their strike pantry at paypal.me slash UMWA strike pantry. Monday, December 5th. At 6 p.m., the Huntsville City School Board of Education is going to be holding a public meeting at Huntsville High School in their AV room to hear from the community about the consent order motion to obtain unitary status for faculty and staff. The Huntsville School Board will have its regularly scheduled meeting the next night on December 6th, same time and place. What is that about, Adam, just really quickly as we're wrapping up? 
Uh, the school district is moving towards unitary status. They claim they've met one of the green factors in the consent mm-hmm. order, this one about faculty and staff. So uh, they will be pursuing that with Judge Heikola and trying to get the DOJ and the judge to sign off. And this is an opportunity for the public to hear more about that. Saturday, December 10th, Hometown Action and Hometown Organizing Project are uh, celebrating five years of rural organizing. The event is free and all are welcome, but online registration is required. So join Hometown Action from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. in Camp Hill, Alabama, for a celebration and conversation about building rural southern power. Labor Notes is having some online trainings and meetings The Secrets of a Successful Organizer three-part November-December workshop series is ongoing with the next installation happening on the 7th of December. Just one more reminder, you can leave us a voicemail at 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857, and we might play it on the next show. You can buy our stickers or give us money on our website, tvlr.fm. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and share the program, rate it on your favorite podcasting apps so that we can get into the ears of as many working people as possible. All power to the workers.